0: Well, that was about as exciting as a turd being lit on fire. <laughs> I don't know how many, how, how many times they can draw us in only to let the expectation balloon burst on us. <laughs> Sharks lose 4-3 to three against the Philadelphia Flyers. We will cover that and more after this. But first, if you want to be a part of the show and teal together with us, check us out across all the social, that being the YouTube chat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Reddit, Discord, shenanigans over there on TikTok. Check out all that and more on tealtownusa.com. And uh, if you want, come help support the pod. Check us out on Venmo as well. You see it it right in the below on the uh, Tealtown USA account. And all of your support helps go to this little thing we call Teal Town After Dark. (laughs) All right, I am pleased to be joined by Mark Eisenberg. Mark, how are you doing this evening?
1: I'm good. It's good to be back on here. It's been a while. It has been a
0: hot second between me and you uh, being on the pod.
1: I think last season. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I mean, it's it's awesome to have you on and, and get some um, perspective here from the, from the East Coast, especially, you know, seeing Philly in and around a lot where you're at. It's, uh, you know, part of their geographical region. And um, came as advertised, very physical game, and just right off the hop, I think uh, you really saw the Sharks be dragged into a physical-type match um what is it about philadelphia and the way they play that seems to ignite physicality wherever they go
1: i think um they're trying to go back to those broad street bully days um they brought in tortorello this year he obviously likes physical or playing with like your heart on your sleeve hockey so um i think You saw a bit of that today in the game, Um, definitely some chippiness, some slashing here, slashing there. Pretty much every player on the Flyers was trying to throw hits, Um, you know, just finishing your checks. And that's going to be the Flyers style hockey, especially under um, torts.
0: Yeah. And it would be it would be one of those periods that was old school hockey in the sense we got no penalties in that first Ah, uh, the shots on goal were nine to twelve in favor of the Sharks. So you had the Sharks kind of dominating a little bit territorially, not not so much because I think in this game we saw a lot of back and forth and a lot of ebb and flow between the two teams. It feel felt like the momentum um, was kind of teetering between both teams in that first and second period, and then you know we we don't need to spoil the rest, but um, you know we we saw. A good start, but again, a, a continuation of the theme. I think going throughout this year, just not enough depth to outlast and just not enough of a complete effort to seal the victory.
1: Yeah, I think it's again, we have these moments or even these periods where we look good. Um, I thought, for example, like the power play looked good today, a lot of puck movement was good, except for the last one, the last one was kind of lame, but um. The Sharks look like a hockey team for periods at a time sometimes, but then we're always brought back to reality, it seems like, in short order, um, with just the lack of ability to play a full 60 minutes, to close out a game, um, however you want to call it. It's it's fairly repetitive at this point.
0: Very much so. Well, like I said before, the Sharks did start off uh, with the hot hand. Tomash Hurdle getting off the schneid. You know, finally getting a tally back after the suspension. That's his 12th of the season, and that came 9-38. But just a great individual pass by uh, Eric Carlson over to Hurdle to tip it in, kind of more of a shot pass, so you so to speak. Um, but again, Eric Carlson just leading the team from the back end. Uh, I think tonight he tied Paul Coffey. Uh, for and I think Al McGinnis, I want to say it might have been McGinnis. I, I somebody, if anybody remembers what the little factoid was, I'd love to know. Um, but he gets 50 points in 38 games played. So you know, some very very historic things going on from the Sharks blue liner there. And again, I think really with the departing of Brent Burns, really opened up a more of a space for for him to shine. Um, He's definitely now the focal point of the offense from the defense and uh, really showing on this campaign why he's paid the big bucks.
1: Yeah, I think I'll be the first to admit, and since this is my first time really doing one of the um, post games this season, that I was very skeptical as to whether he could ever get to this level again in his career. And it's just been so much fun to watch. I think it was... Um, Late last season, I was always a huge Burns fan, and I always had the argument that I think at his best, Burns was the best Sharks defenseman of all time because he would just take over games during some of those seasons when he was Norris-caliber player. And you're seeing that this year in every single game pretty much from Carlson. It's just insane the level he's playing at. Um, I just didn't think we'd see that from him the rest of his career. Uh, I thought we could see good hockey— and but maybe even glimpse just,
0: of the former player that he was but yeah not, this is just unreal
1: on, yeah not come on sustain so this for 37 38 games i mean the players you see him in the point totals with are absolute superstars and they're forwards and they're on better teams it's just it's it's just crazy
0: Yeah, we had we had had some chatter in the comments and, you know, comments. We we do look at you sometimes Um, (laughs) just uh, about how this kind of compares to the to one of his Ottawa Senators tenures where, um, you know, the team is out of the playoff contention. But, you know, putting together a Norris contention type season. So, you know, being a good player on a bad team can kind of handcuff you in the awards department, unfortunately. And I don't know if we're gonna see that with Carlson this year. I think that there's enough of a of an East Coast push uh to see a, you know, a narrative that, you know, he is doing some really amazing things. But I'm not sure at the end of the season um, where the Sharks will be placed at, which I you know, hopefully will be in the bottom third of the league, get us some better shots at, at a draft pick, but um it really could affect his chances at, at winning the hardware this year. And it's unfortunate because, like I said before, you know, playing at peak performance, uh, a, a level I think both of us felt he wouldn't achieve again, um, and, and really showing the naysayers that he still got something left in the tank, and that's for sure. So, um, you know, the Sharks, unfortunately, would have issues continuing the good feels and the good momentum going through that game, Philadelphia would come back and tie the, the score at 10-25. So literally the next shift over, Travis Connectney with a 16th on the season and D'Angelo with his uh, 13th assist. And again, like I had said before, a team trying to go kind of hit for hit, pound for pound uh, with Philadelphia. I thought Philadelphia, whenever the Sharks would have a momentum swing had an answer um, and, and really felt that Philadelphia's kind of smothering style really wore wore the sharks down and and at the end of that game I mean you could you could see some tired bodies I mean the the th- latter part of the third period I thought um, you know the team was dragging at skates um, and and really I mean you, you start that investment in the beginning of the game in that first period and you know kind of neatly wraps the bow around the game but when you do start with that physicality right off the gate you put it into the minds of the defenseman that you've got a a forward shadowing you who's going to be coming in barrels hot when you've got the the puck in the boards um and and there's a little bit of fear that gets placed you know in the defenseman A, a little bit more of a urgency to move the puck a little bit more mistake prone what'd you see from the forecheck from philadelphia that was working tonight mark
1: yeah, I think you met, what you mentioned there is 100% like what we saw play out in that third period too. It's just like you can only take so much the body, right? Over the game. And we saw Timo look banged up. We saw LeBanc get banged up obviously on a different kind of hit, but um, When you're constantly getting a barrage of hits every time you're on the ice, that wears you down throughout the game. I mean, it's you think of it like even with the whole football analogy, they always say like the running game wears down the defense. Well, in, in hockey, this is what you do. This is the whole logic behind playing that style of hockey. You think by the third period, maybe you'll have an edge because you've been slamming everybody every single shift. So. Um, I think that was definitely a case of what we saw tonight from that heavy four check of the Flyers.
0: Yeah, and, and again, we would go back and forth. And, and in that second period, um, Tomas Hurdle would get a marker, his 13th on the season. That would be his second of the game. Meyer and Couture getting the assist there. Um, you could even give a shadow assist there to Eric Carlson because he was doing some really good work down low. Um, but on that power play, like you had said, you know, special teams looked to I think in favor of the Sharks for for most of the night, I felt that they played better while they were on special teams. They penalty, I mean, their penalty kill continued to show why it's number one in the league. I I felt that they were really. Focused on isolating players, especially isolating players up high in the zone. They wouldn't allow their defenseman to kind of move that puck laterally all that much. We saw a couple lateral passes there and here and there, but for the most part, they didn't allow that cross ice pass and they kept that diamond or that square pretty much clear for for most of, of their PKs tonight and and on the power play you know they they use that um, inverted T or, or umbrella whatever however you want to describe it um, but you've got you know the, the layered approach where you've got at least two men layered in on the net um, and, and again Hurdle um, snapping a really good shot you know set up by by Timo and, and Logan there and Again, when you win the special teams, you're, you're kind of plugging along and getting that momentum. You want to be able to, to sustain that. You want to be able to continue to build upon that. And I think that one of the things, ultimately there were quite a few things that, that doomed this, this uh, game tonight, but in that second period just not really able to capitalize on that power play goal, not really able to get much momentum out of it. What what did you see from Philadelphia's perspective on how they were able to kind of just put a wet blanket on, on the field
1: goods? Well, I think the rookie goalie definitely helped him out on the special teams because I think the Sharks were moving the puck pretty well. They were finding empty spaces in the offensive zone and – being fairly i would say unpredictable with where they were going with the puck and i think a lot of that you can pinpoint with carlson being there on the power play he just he's patient with the puck and he's got just unreal vision so he kind of finds guys who are moving all around the zone um but unfortunately they weren't able to they did score that one power play goal um but specifically when you think about like that power play later in the game um it would have been nice to get that buffer zone um at that point but for the most part i think Special teams, it's like you said, the Sharks penalty kill has been the best in the league, so you can't complain there about the Sharks, and the Flyers really only had the one power play tonight anyway, Um, and the Sharks power play, it did, I think, enough for what you'd say for a team to win a game, so the special special teams battle, the Sharks won. Yeah,
0: and definitely, I, I... Would wholeheartedly agree, and and again, just unfortunate f- that they couldn't really uh, do much more, and and you know really couldn't add any more, uh, le- you know, add any more protection on top of their lead that they had in that second period. Um, the shots would be in favor of the Sharks, ten to eleven. So again, very even tit for tat type of of uh, shooting metrics. You look at the uh, the power plays, the Sharks had two uh, and Nico Sturm took a phantom interference. I mean, I don't know that one to me was a little weak um that you you got to be able to possess some portion of the ice, right? I mean, you have to be able to to stand up in your ground and if somebody is not paying attention and trips themselves up on you, you know, I don't necessarily think that <laughs> the onus is on the player who's already positioned on the ice um, and and already kind of staking out his area to then have to move out of the way of a player who's not paying attention. I mean, I, I don't know, ticky tacky. Um, especially after that first period where you didn't have any calls and it seemed like they were just kind of letting them, you know, letting them play. Um, I felt that that second period was a little bit more policing i think from the officials maybe trying to get wrangle things in just maybe a tad you know just to let them know hey you know we are watching still you know we we are back here um but again uh, the sharks were unable to capitalize on the on the second one and really didn't look all that dangerous in that second power play
1: yeah and you're right on that um the penalty against Sturm. i think it's completely unintentional from his perspective. He's just gaining his position right outside the, the blue line it was. And the defenseman skating backwards, skates into him. Like, it's not a pick. It's not a trip. It's it. I, I think it was a borderline call. Um, definitely could have gone not called. But on this night, they decided to call it. Yeah, for sure.
0: Now, going into the third period, <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, this is the, the, the period in which, you know, the, the debacle begins – uh, or if if you had been listening earlier on in the show, we had already mentioned you know the the pound of flesh had been paid for in that first, um, you know really comes to fruition there in the third. Kevin LeBlanc would give us a glimpse of hope, uh, 52 seconds into the third, getting his ninth of the season. Beautiful wrist shot, uh, Hurdle and Carlson getting the assist there. So again, Carlson getting two assists on the night, uh, Hurdle with a three point night. And in this one, you thought, man, Sharks finally have gotten out their feet out of the quicksand, have, have been able to add a little bit of momentum to their game. But there goes Philadelphia again, just kind of chipping away at the body still, continuing at their game plan, not veering off very much. Um, you know, tactically very similar to what they had been doing in the first two periods. Just this time, they kept working at it, and Owen Tippett gets his 11th of the season, Van Van Riemsdyk and Seeler get the assists there. This is one of those corner goals where you'd like to see Capo maybe hug and square up to the post just a little bit more. Um, But again, I think it's a busted assignment down low by one of the defensemen. Um, Really not uh, able to front the shot, and and you know you kind of got Capo parked kind of a little deep in his net, um and, and caught a little deep. What'd you see on that this one, um, Mark, from Capo's yeah. perspective?
1: Yeah, so I agree. It, it's one of those 50-50. I don't want to put the full blame on Capo because it's kind of a it was a fairly nice pass, and then just the guy kind of just blown coverage there. Um, and I don't really think when you look at them in mo. that any of the goals were truly capo's fault but I also don't really feel like he made any huge saves to kind of offset and like he definitely could have had i think one or two of them if he was having like the a better game but um yeah it's just this is where the tide turned for the team like y- you get that first goal absolute snipe by lebanque and also not to mention that beautiful pass by carlson between the legs in his defensive zone for the breakout Um, but then, like you said, slowly chipping away and the Flyers kind of gained the momentum after that. And then they scored, make it a game again, make it three, two. And it's just, that's where the tide turned.
0: Yeah. And, uh, before we get into the, into the final, the final act, so to speak, we got some, uh, we have some reactions coming in from Eric Carlson. Yeah, it sucks. I think we played a good game. We didn't have a bad third. It just didn't go our way. It's a lesson for us. I don't think we played a bad game. Well, obviously, you didn't see the third period. Um, you know, the 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 final dagger would come with Travis Konechny 17th on the season. D'Angelo and Lawton getting the assist there. That coming in at 1755. And this was just after a... Uh, power play for the sharks, uh, in which they had one of their, one of their teammates be drilled into the boards. Now it was called a major on the ice, but was reviewed and then, uh, rescinded down to a minor. I mean, borderline call to begin with. I didn't think it was a major to begin with. Um, I, would have maybe liked to have seen the double minor applied in this situation, because a double minor can be assessed on a more than egregious type play, but doesn't necessarily rise to the, uh, the full five minute major. What'd you see on the, uh, on the hit there and, and lack of execution on the power play?
1: Um, the only issue I have with the hit is I just don't feel like anything in slow motion really showed different than what you would have seen on the ice like it I agree that it probably isn't a five-minute major but if you called a five-minute major on the ice I feel like they should have just stuck with that call he he saw his numbers the entire time it's not like LeBanc was turning um so to me it looked just the same in fast motion as it did on replay I just don't understand that calling it on the ice one way and then changing it but that being said um I thought the power play at that point was pretty weak I thought that was a chance for them to kind of put the game away I don't really feel like they got much momentum on that power play um, or many chances and I actually think the Flyers um, did a really good job of applying pressure and limiting what the Sharks could do and I think they then carried that into the final few minutes of the game
0: yeah I think you're, you're spot on there with the analysis uh, Eric Carlson finishing up his comments we'll put we'll post the last on there and thank you very much AJ for pulling that up that up for us Eric Carlson on protecting the leads that's something that good teams are really good at and teams that don't win that much are not it's something we have to get better at I mean that's a nice sentiment to have I think kind of falls on deaf ears when you don't have a lot of when you don't have a lot of depth and when you're I think utilizing your players or over utilizing your players in certain situations. And I kind of wanted to, to break down this when we, you know, kind of go over the, the whole game, um, you know, from the top down perspective. Um, but for me, it's all it's a lack of depth and a lack of being able to put a consistent Uh, 60 minutes together putting a consistent shift by shift having each shift build upon another we don't see that still it's it's very disjointed and I think the first two lines very much can bleed into each other and I think do a good job of, of backing each other up but there's such a drop off when you go down to line three and and I mean line four tonight for uh you know all all that it was, I think, played pretty decently. I thought Jonah Gadjevich had some really great looks in that first period, and I liked what that fourth line was bringing in, and the type of energy they had in the first, and I don't know why they seemed to back away from that as the game wore on. Um, it's something I've kind of been kind of keeping an eye on consistently, um, seeing a lot of Tomas Hurdle and uh, a lot of Timo Mayer and and not enough of the supporting cast to to really give those guys a break
1: yeah i think the team is just so top heavy you look at the stats um i mean and stats don't always tell the full story but obviously carlson and his numbers we've already spoken about but meyer's a point per game player hurdles now a point per game player with his night tonight and then couture kind of just below that level he's had a slump recently before that he was pretty much at a point per game at what's, I think through 27 games or 28 games. Um, but then after that, yeah, Barabanov and LeBanc have actually been decent. LeBanc, especially since being paired with better players. I think he's got 17 or 18 points in his last like 23 games since joining, um, playing with Meyer or Hurdle. Um, but then after that, I just, I don't think you can ever really truly rely on the lower line players to consistently perform, at like a winning level. You see moments where it's whether Sturm or Sveshnikov look good. Um, Like you mentioned, Gadjevich actually looked pretty decent tonight, Um, but you just don't get the full 60 minute effort from four lines. And that's the problem the Sharks have. And then also even just focusing on the defense, like Carlson is the whole defense. Sure. There's other guys who've been passable and decent, like Benning at times has looked good Um, early on in the season. I thought Vlasic was decent, but, you you just relying too much on three or four names, and that's just in the NHL that's not going to get you many wins.
0: For sure. And not to mention, you know, we had talked about putting in a consistent 60 minutes, but even a consistency in overtime. And, and we looked tonight on, on tonight's overtime, that opening faceoff, what struck me was how tenacious Philadelphia was on that opening faceoff. Not only did they they lost the initial draw, but had the foresight to have the the forward who was taking the draw continue to pressure on the shark uh, who had took t- t- taken the draw, and he was able to snatch up the puck and able to get possession of the puck and really um, able to to start the neutral zone drive that led to the two on one and. Again, you want to see the guys put in a little bit more effort into into getting that that first faceoff draw. You know, you you want to have possession of the puck. I mean, possession of the puck is the name of the game, of course. But especially in overtime, where one little mistake or or one um, little window can really be opened up and exploited. And and we saw Philadelphia come on in in waves. I mean their changes were great in overtime. Um you had I think was it uh I, I'm trying to think of who took the draw. It might have been oh, was it Tippett and then he came off for Connect me or yeah, I'm I'm not exactly sure who took that faceoff draw, but it was a, a play that again was Really emblematic of the way Philadelphia came out and, and just continued to pester the puck hound and, and or, excuse me, continue to be a puck hound and pester the four, you know, whoever was possessing it from the Sharks. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, you can just see the game plan from start to finish be consistent. And, you know, for, for me at least, where is that consistency from game to game with this team we just we just haven't seen it at all
1: yeah and I I don't think this isn't really going to be a comment on Quinn but more so on Tortorella I think that's one of the things Tortorella teams a lot of times will show is that level of discipline and that tenaciousness um in terms of how they're going to play like if you don't play that way he will scratch you like doesn't matter if you're the best player on the team <laughs> so like the, he definitely gets that level of commitment from his players um, the thing that kind of bugged me about the overtime was like you mentioned possession is the key right you always want to win that opening face off you want to start possessing the puck and pretty much just never give it to the other team that's the goal of overtime um, and there was this moment i want to say about 35 40 seconds into the shift where the sharks had pushed the flyers out of the zone and the flyers were kind of circling back at their own blue line. And I thought both, I think it was Carlson and Meyer um, had chances to go to the bench as they were kind of cycling around through the um, neutral zone towards the sharks bench, but they stayed on and then they couldn't get the puck out of the zone as fluently later on in that shift. And I think they had brief possession for a moment, but they really didn't have the legs left to really do anything with it. Flyers come back the other way bad change, and results in a game-winning goal. And I think if they had just changed at that point, 35 seconds, you have fresh legs out there, 40 seconds, which is kind of normal for overtime, right? You're looking at 30 to 40-second shifts. Um, I think they had a chance there to do that. They didn't, and they ended up losing. Um, So I don't know if that's necessarily something that Coach will mention to them post game, um, but it just looked like an opportunity there to you know maybe I don't know if it's a matter of being greedy or just like being aware, but I think they should have changed at that moment. At least the two players who were closest to the bench as they were circling.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and again we have some some comments kind of echoing. Didn't have enough, um, didn't have enough jump. Didn't have enough life in that overtime period. And and I think you're spot on um, with the needing to change quicker and and really again effort and mental awareness of where you're at in the game and and where you need to (laughs) you know need to press you know and and need to continue to possess the puck and not allow the the pace of play be dictated to you and and they just let it let the game get away from them in that overtime period that's for sure and uh left kapokokkanen out there to dry so uh to tonight capo would end up getting an 846 safe percentage I didn't think he had a bad game um I didn't necessarily think he did enough to win a game I think there were there was at least one goal where I felt he could have had a little bit better positioning the other two were you know double deflection type goals which you you know you give him a break for um but not I, I guess just not doing enough. You know, not not enough of a of a highlight there to to really try to save and preserve. You know, the win that they had, kind of locked up in that third. To be a you know, quite honest, and again, just a, another just disappointing almost win to a overtime loss yet again. And it and again, it I just love to see some consistency some bounce back from a from a really bad Vancouver game you know I don't know if you watched any of that Vancouver game but Vancouver I mean just they're they're not a good team right now and and for them to um, kind of ride all over the Sharks the way that they did I thought that the Sharks would come out with a little bit of you know piss and vinegar in the in the system and just not having it so again I think breaking it down, not necessarily putting enough effort for all of the, um, you know, for all of the game, and and really the lack of of depth, again, rears its ugly head, and I kind of wanted to lead into that part of the discussion, Mark. So, you like Matt Nieto as a player, and and I think I like Matt Nieto as a player and as a penalty killer, but Matt Nieto is not a second-line forward, is he?
1: Absolutely not, (laughs) yeah. I mean, he's barely, I'd even put him in the third line, good third line forward category. Like, I feel like he's like a high-level fourth liner or like mid to low-level third liner. Um, great penalty killer, good guy, um, great defensively, still has speed, but they, I mean, he doesn't belong anywhere near a top six.
0: And so I I just don't know why you continually press him out there when you've got a third liner in Evgeny Svechnikov, who looks like he wants to get back into that top six, you know, a guy that, that really every time I see him on the ice, he's trying to make something happen, you know, whether it be down low or over in the boards, but just a better overall physical game from him. Um, a little bit more puck handling skill. And I just don't understand why he's not playing on that second line. Can
1: yeah, I would agree with you. I think he's definitely got the m- more upside. Um, I think if you're looking at the Sharks lineup, I, he's definitely a guy I'd probably pencil in as more belonging. I still don't think he's also a, a second-line player. Right. Um, but if you're looking at the options available that are on the NHL lineup, then I believe you, I agree with you. Svesha Nacov probably belongs there more than Yetto does.
0: Or Nico Sturm. I mean, you could put Nico Sturm there in that second— second hole um, uh, on the right-hand side. But I, I just... or Yeah, right-hand side. Uh, LeBanc's on the left. Um, I like the ascension of lebank to Hurdle's line. I think lebank has really started to come on lately. And I like the fact that he's been shooting more and becoming more of a threat down low and, and in the slot. So it does open up a little bit more ice for Hurdle to kind of maneuver around. And when Hurdle's got some some ice you know he he does dazzle he does have some some skills to showcase but again it's just it whenever that puck goes over to to the right side it just becomes sunken into Matt Nieto and 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 I just I just don't understand why he keeps getting rolled out on that second line I, I want him to be placed in a position to do well and you know he was he was an integral part on a on a Colorado team that did really well and and he was playing third line minutes right so, again, questionable there as to as to why he's he's slotted there. Um, a guy that I think also needs to, to start showing a little bit more is, is Nick Benino. Um, you know, a, a guy who can we've seen him put points in the net before but I just I want a better defensive game from him I, I just feel like this year's defensive game from Nick Benino, five on five hasn't been his strongest suit and I think maybe because at five on five the speed is a little bit quicker and we're starting to see him slow down a little bit but I don't know man what, what are your thoughts on Nick Benino, the third line constitution and what this team needs
1: I think Benino. Um, the way I look at him at this point is I just hope he plays well so we can make him worthwhile to deadline to move because I feel like he's one of the pieces that's like a veteran presence that a playoff team might look for like the fourth liner or third liner to throw him in there. I mean, outside of one stretch of four games where he scored a goal every game, he scored zero the rest of the season. So he's obviously not doing much offensively. Um, I still think he has some games where he's good defensively. I think he can be a valuable player on maybe a playoff team getting 10 minutes a game, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I mean, he did show late last season that he could put up points when playing next to Kachor, Um, but I just, I don't know. He's definitely not the player he once was when he was on say the Pittsburgh, for example. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that, similar to nieto kind of just fits into our lineup because we don't really have the depth and we're keeping some of those younger players in the ahl so we're seeing him with those third line minutes and we're seeing nieto with those second line minutes and guys are playing probably above the level they should be um or being put into a spot a role above where they should be um and i think that directly contributes probably to where the sharks are in the standings if you think about it Like. I don't think the top six is our problem. Sure, we could use someone instead of Nieto there, um, but when you see the numbers that some of our forwards are putting up, if you put, thought about those coming into the season, I'd say the Sharks are probably borderline a playoff team. But they just—they're lacking so much everywhere else, and the goaltending problem has also kind of become a thing again, which is weird because that was not something I thought was going to happen coming into this season.
0: Yeah, and and AJ echoing in the in the comments, uh, you know, doing great job, man. In the comments there for us. You know, for all the talk of improving the fight and the culture this season, is there a difference really? I don't see it. Uh, different deck chairs on the Titanic, uh, and and you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the the ship is sinking. I mean, you you know, in your in your previous comment, you know, laying out that the team is is worse than they were last year in the at the same amount of games played. Um, (laughs) and the Sharks still have a top four not a top six (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I I think that that's pretty apt I think you're you're definitely onto something there uh, for sure but I mean you you just go down on the ice times tonight I mean Oscar Lindblom eight minutes and 43 seconds you know Stephen Lawrence eight minutes and 25 seconds Jonah Gazovich, eight minutes and 21 seconds I mean, at that point, you have three players in single digits. What's the point in icing that line if you're, you know, not going to consistently um, roll out from line to line to line? I mean, good grief. No wonder why Timo and Hurdle can't skate. You know, they've got 23 minutes on Timo's wheels and you got, you know, 21 minutes over there for Hurdle. You're going to burn these guys out before even before halfway through the season.
1: Yeah, and I think with you look at that fourth line just I know Gadjevich had a few good shifts today where he looked decent. Um I somewhat think he is included in this lineup to maybe offset some of the strength and physicalness of the Flyers, but <sighs> there's just too many holes there. It's just you these guys are probably borderline AHL players. I mean, Lawrence is I, I, I'd say he's a qualified fourth liner in the NHL, but I don't know. Just at, at
0: this point, I mean— doesn't inspire. And, and I mean, at this point, Oscar Lindblom has not showed me much more than AHL journeyman level type play. Um,
1: biggest disappointment from the Greer moves, and like he was probably one of the ones I actually felt favorable about coming into the season. I was hoping for maybe a bounce back, maybe a change of uh, scenery was going to kind of bring him back to— um before he was diagnosed and the play he was at at that level um but I mean most nights, I forget he's even in the lineup. He's just realistically bad. he
0: should be in that spot that Nieto's occupying, right? I mean that's yeah, that is the guy that we kind of penciled in like, okay, you know, maybe coming in sure. you know this this could be a, a real good second line kind of gem, a nice little grinder to go with, you know a big presence in, in hurdle and um you know the nice playmaking ability of LeBanc. And he's just been invisible, mm-hmm. invisible, and it and yeah. it sucks because you know he he's got you know a story, um, and and he's got a a great story of perseverance, and a and a great story of of really not allowing you know an illness to to affect his professional game, um, and and taking a lot of courage to get back in the lineup and even get back out on the ice for sure. But that, that story is, is a, a feel-good story for when you've got a, a winning team. When, mm-hmm. when you've got a, a losing team or a team that's needing um, to change directions and needing to really establish a new identity, those, those types of feel-good stories get buried um, because the, the play is just not there. And it's unfortunate um, because, again, you know, it's a it's a marvel that he's able to even get back out there and and do what he does. Um, And, you know, maybe the level of play would be acceptable if the team was winning at a higher clip, you know, and it's just happened to have one forward who just needed to kind of get, you know, his game rearranged or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that luxury, right? You don't have you don't have the luxury of, of being able to to hide a player that's just being inconsistent when you've got a, a team full of inconsistencies.
1: Yeah. And it's just a another player where I mean, it's not an excessive cap hit, but I'm, I think he's making like two and a half mil. Um, and you know, he had a bad season with the flyers last year, which is why we thought like thought the changes of you might help scenery might help him. Um, but he's having an even far worse season this year than he did in Philly last year. At least last year, he was able to still put some pucks in the net. Um, I like my main thing with guys, like if you're not scoring fine, if you're looking decent on the ice, but like I said, I just rarely ever see anything from Lindbaum this season where I actually get confidence that this is going to change. Like he's just mostly invisible yeah
0: and and AJ bringing up another player Noah Greger now I like what I I like what I saw from Evgeny Svechnikov I don't think he was utilized all that well um I would say why would you have Oscar Limbaum in at this point when you've got a perfectly good Noah Greger there who's who's you know champ champing at the bit to get back in um Again, questionable decisions from from the coaching staff, but I think a lot of things can be questionable at this point with with the way that this team is constructed, with the way that this team is playing, and the way in which this team is blowing consistent leads or just not putting a good on ice product in, to begin with. Um, there, you know, there. Are, uh, this is a, a system of failures, not just one. Um, you know one particular area now you have players that are playing above their head and I hope that the management is able to extract any value that they can out of those players um, because I think that that's about the only option that you have right now considering Greer's brand new um, you know Quinn's brand new you're not going to you know upend the apple cart that way I mean what other choices do you have Not, not a lot
1: yeah, I think it's a fine line um, that the I think Greer has to like tiptoe here with these star players because they're also kind of the only reason the Sharks are worth watching at this point. Like I tune in every game to watch Carlson, Meyer, Hurdle. Like these guys are fun to watch. Every time they're on the ice, something's happening. Especially with the way Carlson's playing. But you trade Carlson, you don't sign Meyer, then like suddenly that attendance drops even lower than it has. been. I know they announced tonight as a sellout, but I mean, most nights we're looking at the tank and it's half empty. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. I I don't really know what kind of value we can expect. I've read a lot of things um, from some of the insiders saying that trades simply just can't happen at this point because of the cap situation for most clubs. So, I mean, most likely these deals will probably have to wait to the deadline, if they're going to happen at all, um, or maybe even off over the off season for a player like Carlson, um, who's still signed for several years, but um, I, I don't know. And
0: and and you can't expect the team to take a hit on on that trade, no. especially with how much money they have tied up and and players not playing here. Um, you know, I know that our ownership is is very, um, you know, very hands off and and very. Uh, not liking to put a lot of their own two cents into management's moves, but I don't think that it's also an unlimited checkbook, right? I don't, I don't think it's it's the type of ownership that just doesn't bat an eye when you're, you know, spending eight million dollars to have not, you know, to not have players play on your team. So, from that perspective, you've you've get you're you're painted into a corner, an impossible situation where. You've got some assets that are, are really um, living up to their contracts now, um, but given the climate and given where the sharks are at, have to basically trade dollar for dollar, um, you know, dollar in, dollar out um, with with these players, and that that can be a really tough sell, and especially early um, before the deadline. Um, at the do- deadline, it gets a little bit better because of the prorated, the way the prorated contracts work, and the way the salary cap works after, you know, for deadline acquisitions. It's basically about half the half the amount for the AAV is is really applied to your um, to your cap. So uh, again, I don't. Besides some some movement on the periphery, I don't see how a lot of core change can be made uh, until the offseason and, and until we see, you know, what exactly the cap's gonna going to go up. Now, luckily, you know, we're not going to get the stagflation type cap this year. You know, I think we're going to get a pleasant surprise in, in the race uh, of the cap, but I don't think it's going to be enough to absorb a, a Carlson type contract within the year, right? Uh, yeah, I
1: think we're still looking at probably another two years before it goes up to the full amount they were talking about. Um, I think the most recent thing I heard is that Bettman was saying to like not get our hopes up too much for this year. I think it's going to go up another million or two, the cap. But I think, like you mentioned, Carl, any, any move with Carlson is going to have to have cap coming back. So it's going to have to be with a team that has another six or seven million they want to get rid of, plus some more. Um, which at that point how many years are we taking on it's not really helping our cap situation so we better at least be getting a really good pick and prospect um so Greer has some very difficult decisions to make like you're balancing entertainment value for your team the future of your team and like you're also kind of handcuffed then by these players how much dead cap you've already got because we retained for some reason almost what was it three million on burns and another, we're still paying Martin Jones for another two or three years, two and a half million. So, it's it's tough. I don't envy the the, the issues he has to deal with. Career. And, and
0: and I wonder what the conversation was with Hasso when he sat down to to take control and take reins uh, on the team, and and what was the pitch? You know, how did he? You know, did he come in saying? you know, hey, I don't foresee this being a playoff-type team for the next two to three years, and we're going to have to push a, a pseudo-rebuild. Or if it was his plan that the acquisitions that he made, some, you know, of the ill-advised variety, that Matt Benning contract's still ringing in my ears. Um, Four years. <laughs> yeah. I, I, You know, there, there were these moves that were made to, to suggest you know, giving this core another shot, another kick at the can, so to speak, um, and to try to retool on the fly, you know, to continue that Wilsonian one foot in, one foot out um, type of retool, reset, you know, r- include our word here. Um, but it, it just comes off as directionless. It just comes off as patronizing almost to 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 kind of tell the fans you know hey look we're trying to compete but really on the hush hush you know we're not you know we're not doing well and and that's why i really looked at that that rebuild that new york did and in the way yes. in which they they put the letter out you know and and explained to the fans hey this is the vision you know bear with us i think that that's a better sell to to uh to a smart fan base to a fan base that has a lot of entertainment dollars that could go in a variety of other places. I mean, there are some, you know, there is a good <laughs> Bay Area football team playing right now, um, and and a basketball team that's better than the Sharks, but you know, kind of listless in their own ways. But again, entertainment value, entertainment dollar, um, really kind of favoring the the savvy shoppers in the Bay Area. And why would you? Why would you continue to pay for a, a product that doesn't seem to have a clear direction on where it's going? I mean, besides with its, you know, nose, per, you know, firmly placed, you know, in a tailspin.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that, and I really think I would have preferred Greer come in and kind of, I think, make some more of those. I don't want to say tanking moves, but like, I just I feel like he wasted cap on. Players that he didn't need to waste cap on which then puts us in a tougher position when it comes to trades or absorbing cap from other teams for say picks like we traded burns and then we filled up all the cap we freed up with a bunch of mediocre if not bad third and fourth liners or defensemen it's just i don't know i haven't felt a sense of direction with this team for a couple years now and i feel like we're just praying for a miracle with the lottery um in um next what is it june july because um, I think that's like the only way we can somehow turn this around in a faster um, time frame. Like you, you see us win the lottery or at least stay in those top two or three picks. I think we're getting a generational or at least star quality player. Well, you're definitely but if we're getting in,
0: an all-star within the top three, right? Yeah, I think you know you could you could make the claim that the first two picks um, will be. Those those franchise altering type picks. Yep. Um, but I think that that third pick is also going to be a, a star in the in the league as well. I think, uh, again, it's a it's a pretty deep draft. Mm-hmm. I, I would say even on the top five, if you're if you land somewhere in the top five, you're going to get a bona fide player for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The only problem is I just I still feel sometimes this Sharks lineup might be good enough to finish in that eighth or seventh range. And it's just we can't keep doing that year after year. Like we need some sort of something to build around because we don't have that. And as much as I like some of our prospects, they're not franchise building prospects. It's just simple. Like they're not. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I think that you've got two really good young players that can insulate a, a very good core and that can add to a very good core. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that they're uh, line altering type players or or when I say that uh, the the type of player that elevates their line mates. I don't think that Eklund or Bordy is that type of player, but I think that they are very good pieces in themselves and, and bring a lot to the table. I just don't necessarily think that they're going to be the monster driver. Right of exactly. a, of a line, um, whereas if you get a you know Connor Bedard, um, he's definitely going to be a, a, a player that could um, really drive. Well, I mean, I think he he alters uh, for a franchise. I think he's going to be that good uh, mm-hmm. a, of a player. I think um, I would say he's going to be closer to a McKinnon than to a um, McDavid, um, and and I you, you hate putting. Uh, undue pressure on these kids cuz it's 18 19 year olds and go get them but um no I think he's going to be special and if if the sharks could somehow land him and make him the the cornerstone of of a rebuild with those with Bordie and X um and and even Bifeld too you know kind of coming in and slotting along with him that's a that would be a a good nucleus to to kind of roll the page over um, as it stands now, I just I don't even think that they have enough to to make the ink run dry on on this page.
1: Yeah, and I think <clears throat> you saw it. Even if you're if you've been checking into the World Junior Championships, Bedard's going crazy there. I mean, he's got seven points one game, six points the next game. I know they're not against top countries, but still, to, he he's doing better than a guy like Shane Wright, for example, who was already just drafted in the top five and has played some NHL minutes. Um, so. Yeah, if we can find a way to win that lottery, that'd be great because I don't think we have a chance of really finishing in the bottom one or two spots. I think you look at Chicago, and they're just too bad, and same thing with Anaheim. Um, so it's going to take some lottery luck. But like you said, if we can even finish in the top four or five, like Leo Carlson, Adam Fantilli, and Mitch Carver, all guys who could have been number one any other year. So um, but that's something to look forward to, and hopefully – We can actually get some of that franchise luck that we deserve since we've never had that first overall pick. But yeah, we'll see. We got time to see what um, Greer can also do the rest of this year. Like maybe Meyer ends up getting traded and we pick up another extra pick or two in the first round. It obviously wouldn't be like a lottery pick, but um, there's potential moves to be made
0: for sure. And I think that there are a lot of moves that can be made to improve their position and their lot in life, Uh, you know, with the, the number of picks they get in the lottery ball, so to speak, or, or heck, I mean, even they've they've had success with late round picks and, and really mining some of those players and, and making you know, a Kevin little bank, you know, uh, an NHL player. Um, there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. And if you've got, um, you know, Berkey who, who's back in the reins, um which scares me, um really, quite frankly. I, I liked what D. W. Wilson Jr. was doing um with the draft, but I guess we're back to Berkeyisms. Um but before I forget quick shout out to dustin dude thank you so much for the super chat uh this team man (laughs) crying emoji much love to teal town and everyone that supports this team through the ups and downs well thank you uh dustin for supporting us it really does go back to the show and really does help with what we what we do and uh we'll we will be here uh (laughs) well the the hope is we'll be here as long as the Sharks will be in San Jose, right? You know, we we love doing this because it's a way for us to uh, interact with the fans, able uh, able to give us a, a good outlet to speak about, you know, what our thoughts are on the ice. Of course, we are just fans, but we do this for you guys and gals uh, out there on the internet. You know, just to let you know that you're you're not alone in your misery when you watch this team. <laughs> uh, because right now it's uh it, it's rough. You know, it's 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 famine time for sure. But, you know, I think that there are some some signs of hope here and there. Um right now, I think you're really still in that take taking stock phase. I still think that Greer is is not totally comfortable with uh with the system, you know, I, I, I meaning I don't I don't think he's got a firm grip on you know where um, prospects are at in their development curve. I just don't think he has enough time yet under his belt to kind of know um, who to bank on, who to who to play more, who to um, you know try to move. I I just don't think that there's enough body of work there um, for him to to make clear assessments. I, you know it's gonna take. You know, they always say we don't really see GM ripple. We don't see the ripples that the GM make until, what, year two or three, at least. So, you know, I, I think we're, we'll, unfortunately, are, are still headed for some tough times and some lean times here, you know, in the next couple of seasons, which, which uh, you know, is unfortunate for a team that's used to a lot of success.
1: Yeah, I think we, 2024, 2025 is probably – The earliest we can expect, you know, a real turnaround, hopefully, you know, some of that cap space clears up a few draft picks go our way. But sometimes these can be exciting, right? You can get a trade or two that happens, you know, again, if we were to land the first overall pick in this coming draft, that would probably be a top like three most exciting moment in franchise history. Like the, the, the shift that could happen in an instant would be pretty epic. I'm um, thinking like trade for joe thornton type excitement moments so um yeah we just have to suffer through this pain on more of a week-to-week and day-to-day basis but hopefully you know bright brightness on the horizon
0: yeah for sure and we've got <laughs> we got some shenanigans um <laughs> yeah i guess they're not a lot of love for doc brown um but uh, no, in all seriousness, though, I think Bedard is, is going to be a, a really special player and, and whatever franchise he, he's going to go to will will help move in the right direction. You know, we I just I hope that we're, you know, finally given that first overall, you know, our, our first overall pick and um, really give us a, a, a building block that we've never had before. Um, that that would be something. Uh, But, uh, you know, we're starting to run a little bit long So I think we're going to start to curtail it here Uh, In case you missed us or you want to check us out again uh, Check us out across all of these podcasting platforms That of course being on the YouTube Replay The Apple Podcast Store The Google Play Store SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart And of course Audacity You can check out the replays And all of our great editorials over at TealTownUSA.com. Mark, your final thoughts and and where the people can find you?
1: Um, People can find me on Twitter, Mark E. Mark SJS. And I'd say my final thoughts are just on Saturday, if you want to watch one of our prospects, um, BeastEd and Sweden take on Canada and Bedard, that game will be on, I think the NHL network. Um, But that'll be one that's worth uh, tuning in for on Saturday. b looked really good with Sweden so far. I think he's actually leading their team in scoring or he might be second, but he's got four points in his first three games. So he's looked decent um, and we'll get to see him hopefully take on a few.
0: And uh, bringing in the input, (laughs) but uh, Mark, it was a pleasure to have you on. Um, And uh, as far as where you can find me, you can use my first name. That's E R I K.